Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Hello and thank you for listening to the Wrestling with Fatherhood podcast. I'm glad that you're here. Wrestling with Fatherhood is all about equipping dads to discover their strengths, understand their value, develop their goals, and live out their dreams to become their children's biggest heroes. And today we're in for a treat. Today I have my friend Kate on here. Kate, thanks for being with us. Thank you for having me. So, Kate, tell us a little bit about yourself and your family. Okay. Um, I'm 41. I am a former forensic psychologist and crisis clinician, which is crisis clinicians are the people that help figure out what's going to happen next when you're in the ER with any sort of psych symptoms. So that means I've kind of seen people all along the, the whole spectrum of psych, you know, from the very early emergency into I've worked in a prison, I've worked in psych hospitals. So I've seen a lot. I've seen some things in my day. I am now home full time because I broke my back in 2014, but I run a podcast that is called Ignorance Was Bliss. And so that's sort of my, my newest baby right? Uh, Prior to that, I have four human babies, ages 18, 14, 8, and 6. And I have been married for 18 years. So all four kids with the same two parents. It's amazing. And that's awesome. Uh, Anymore seems like, uh, it seems like there's so many different blended uh, in broken homes. It's awesome to uh, have that concrete marriage in place. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about that. Let's talk a little bit about, you know, we, we've, we've talked before, that, you know, uh, and you had mentioned that your dad is somebody who's always been in your life. Uh, and tell us a little bit about that. What does that mean to you? What does it mean to have a dad who's always been in your life? Well, I don't know that he, he actually has always been. Um, so my dad, my parents had me very young. They were 17 when I was born. And he, my parents stayed married until I was 25. So for my whole childhood, adolescence, they were together. But then, and, and actually after my parents divorced, my dad moved in with us for a little while. But then he got married. And for probably a 10-year span, maybe a little bit more, I really didn't see him much. I didn't have a whole lot of, he didn't live far away. He just, my dad is, he's, he's of the philosophy that no news is good news. Now for me, no news is benign neglect. You know what I mean? Like not hearing from somebody isn't a good thing, you know, but thought, you know, like I accept that that's, that's where he was coming from. And so fine. And so we got along well. We always, you know, as a kid, it was kind of strained often, but as, since I've been an adult, it's been fine. And my dad, for the past year, has lived with us because he has had some stuff hit his fan all at once between medical issues and 
Uh, he got a divorce and he has some health issues. I said that and financial issues rather. So he's been here and it's been a very different role. You know, you've heard of the sandwich generation. Have you heard that phrase? Yep. Where that's me <laughs> right now where I'm taking care of kids and I'm also, I'm not caring for my dad in a physical sense. He's, he's independent that way. He's only 60, not quite. Um, but caring for him in a like, like the other version of the word care you know i'm providing a lot of emotional support and at times it has felt like he really hasn't had any other options or any other you know sources of of support so it's been a, a really careful navigation in our relationship because i can't be his mom right and there are limits to the kind of supports i can offer and they're you know likewise the other way around but on, on the flip side it's been it's been good for my kids to get to know him better and to be around him more they call him grandpa starburst <laughs> and uh, so it's been it's just been a a process to navigate that you know because it's not always easy we're, we're six people in a four-bedroom house as it was now we're seven so it's cozy but we're <laughs> making it work uh, that's awesome. And I, I love how you're willing to take him in, even though, you know, at times it looked like and it felt like he turned his back on you. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about that, about when he was, uh, you know, back there and, and back in the house. Uh, you know, as dads, it's so easy to think what we say and what we do doesn't matter within our children's lives. It's so easy to get caught up in what we're doing and, and work and, and trying to provide for our families. What are some things that your dad did well and helping bring you and bring you up and, and how did he support you? Um, my dad, I so I'm the first in my family to go to college uh, on either side. And there was never a moment where I got kickback or doubt from, from my dad, you know, it's, it's not a world that he was familiar with, but he was always very big on, on education. I would say, you know, so my, my, my family, both, both sides are from upstate New York and it's not a very demonstrative culture there. You don't, you don't, they don't hug, they don't touch a whole lot. It, they, you know, that, you know, that American Gothic where they're standing there on the painting and he's holding this pitchfork and they're just like, next to each other <laughs> yep. that's what it feels like i mean it, it, it was fairly redneck and um and not real snuggly and so i was in college before i heard i love you you know but he was the first one to say it and that was a big deal and my dad is a storyteller so that is an art that i learned from him um how to even when you're uncomfortable to find a story and to sort of engage people in it that's really important and that's a skill that I've used heavily in in all of my jobs he's a funny guy and you know at times he kind of crosses the line into okay that's not funny that's just sarcastic and you know, <laughs> obnoxious now and but that that helped you know in its own way that helped me learn like don't cross certain lines you know that kind of thing so I mean I think that my dad has always done the best he could with what he has and I think that's a really important lesson to learn and that that's awesome so from a female point of view 
as, as somebody who, who's a daughter and, and as we just talked about, has a dad, what would be your couple of main pieces of advice that you would give men out there who have daughters and, and, you know, maybe they're thinking, Hey, you know, I'm not good enough for my daughter. I'm not, you know, yeah, all she wants is, is my financial support. She doesn't want me to be there. She doesn't want me to, you know, be physically there. Uh, what would some of your answers be to, uh, a man who may not completely be uh, with his family, you know, physically, mentally, emotionally. You can support your daughters in a lot of ways that are not financial. And in fact, please don't support them financially. If they come to you, if they ask, then great, you know, do what you can do. But if it's not asked for, it's not help. It's interference. So that's sort of step one. Step two is that if you're physically near, you know, if you're, if you're within the presence of your daughter, whether that is every day or whether that's some sort of court mandated once a week thing, find something that you can do that is not expensive, that's a shared activity. Go to the batting cages. My dad and I used to go to the arcade, you know, growing up. That's how old I am. Um, <laughs> you know, go find some sort of shared, even if it's just go walk around the mall for a lap. It, you know, it doesn't, but my dad has taken my kids to go throw rocks off a bridge. And that's one of my daughter's favorite memories from childhood, you know? And so it doesn't have to be complicated and it certainly doesn't have to involve money, but find something and do it. And if you can't be with your kid, and this is really regardless of gender, all of this, um, if you can't be with your kid, write to them, whether that's start a journal and write one line in it every day date it and write I love you or date it and write it's snowing you know but something to prove to your kid that I think about you and I'm not there I think that's really powerful I think that when it comes to gender the more important thing is that dads teach their sons to behave appropriately rather than teaching their daughters to behave defensively but I also think it's super important for dads to communicate to their daughters there's nothing you can say that would make me stop loving you. There's nothing you could say that I would consider wrong. And I promise that I'm not going to go out and beat somebody up. You need to be able to let me know that I am a safe place and maybe keep a notebook in the house. There's some dads, like dads and daughters have trouble with eye contact. So keep a notebook in the house where she can write, somebody called me a name. My boyfriend's pressuring me to have sex. You know, or he can write questions. And she can write them answers if they can't do eye contact. There's ways to communicate still. And I think that's priceless for a daughter to grow up understanding that, look, it may be awkward, but acknowledge the awkward and work with it. I love that. I love that, you know, as dads, so many times we, we forget a lot of these different things that there's more than one way to communicate. There's more than just, you know, face-to-face, eye-to-eye communication. So that's a great practical tip that, that I hadn't even thought of. And so thank you for sharing that. I also love what you said about, you know, if, if you're a dad and you're not in the house and, you know, regardless of what reason that is, we've both worked in prisons before uh, you as, as, you know, doing, doing more of the psychology stuff. Me, I did uh, the, the prison ministry stuff and it's so powerful when a dad is willing to go and write a letter to their child. 
you know, taking that time to go and to motivate them, to encourage them. And, you know, if, if the child decides not to read it, that's on them. But if you write it and you're making that effort, I absolutely love that. So let's shift the gears here a little bit. You said you've been married for, for 18 years, and I know that people love talking about their spouses. What are some things that your husband does very well in your guys' marriage that can encourage men to, to be fully engaged in marriage? In marriage, um, we have... We have date night, you know, and, and it sounds good. We have to put it on the calendar. You have to schedule it. That, that may take some of the romance and spontaneity out of it, but you know what? So do the kids. So we have to have, if it's on the calendar, you know, it's the almighty calendar, like you're going to do it, right? And so having date night helps. Um, we have at, at times had a, a journal that we have passed back and forth when there are things that are difficult to communicate. Um, one of the earliest things that we that we did because it was a challenge don't solve her problems for her if she's stressed out if she's having a hard day and she starts venting don't tell her what to do or how to solve the problem ask are you just venting or do you want help fixing this because when you immediately go into problem-solving mode, there's a certain degree of you going, there, there, little lady, you're not smart enough to do this, so let me do it for you, in which her response is going to be up yours. I don't like this conversation anymore, right? We don't need to be told what we're doing wrong or how we need to approach the problem. Eventually, maybe, right? But in the first go-around, the first venting session, sometimes we just need to vent and we need to hear it. We need to hear the problem spoken through so that we can kind of figure out like, okay, here's what's actually the problem or here's what I'm going to fix and the rest can just set aside or whatever. And if you ask her, do you want, do you want me to just listen? That's doing something. Listening is often harder than telling her, well, you should go get this hammer and pound this nail. So that was the kind of thing we had. We had to have the conversation very early in our marriage. Because I would get so frustrated when he would offer these things. Like, well, did you try this? And I'm like, yes, shut up. <laughs> well, did you try that? And I'd be like, yes, bite me. Like, it would get to the point where I'm like, you're not hearing me. And so we had, I, you know, I, I had to teach him, like, this is a better way to communicate with girls. And uh, he seemed to figure that out. And he's done pretty well. Yeah, it's, it's interesting that, you know, men get so focused on fixing the problem instead of understanding the problem. And, and of course, you know, as, as we both know, men and women both process things differently. And men, something to think about is that when we do that, when we are just telling the solution to the problem, whether we mean to or not, we end up becoming the problem. We end up becoming the headache. We end up becoming the annoyance. And that is something that I don't know about you guys, but I don't want that in my marriage. When I come and I'm, I'm trying to help my wife solve a problem, my goal is to solve the problem to make her life better. And I know everyone who's listening, uh, you know, that's your goal as well. So let's not become the problem. Let's become a part of the solution. So I'm on board. Thoughts, <laughs> <laughs> I'm on board with this. Uh, that's awesome. And, and having four kids, being married for, for 18 years, one, that's awesome. I just celebrated your number 11. 
Uh, so just th that's awesome. I love hearing about happy and, and supportive marriages. Uh, what are some great things that your husband does well as a dad to your children? He, okay. So in um, 2010, I had my eight-year-old and what, at what, by the time he was three days old, I was in a coma and I was in the hospital for six weeks. Oh, wow. Um, you know, but within, like I was in a coma and then within four or five days of that, they told my husband, start planning the funeral that we've never seen anybody get this sick and live. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. It, 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 the short version is that someone in the delivery room had strep throat and that got into my bloodstream and then my uterus ruptured. Oh, and wow. I kept being told it's gas pain, you know, because ruptured or organ versus gas pain, same. <laughs> yeah. So through that whole thing, he's got a newborn, a five-year-old and a 10-year-old to juggle and a wife in a coma, you know, because it took a long time to figure out what was causing this infection. And meanwhile, I developed necrotizing fasciitis, which is the flesh-eating bacteria you read about in the tabloids. And so there's a lot of big bad stuff going on all at once. And he juggled very well, um, did a good job of calling in for reinforcements, but also just he hung in there. And when I got home six weeks later, it's not like I was just home and poof, everything's great. You know, I was, I was still on home health care, which is when your insurance company acknowledges you can't leave the house for nine months. So he remained in charge of everything. And so it was that ability to just step up. And you don't have to be asked. You can't be told because I, I could barely at times form a coherent sentence and you know there's a depression that comes with medical issues that you know people are not warned about or told about and for me that depression I, I, I picture it as a brick wall and it's always been there like I always had a brick everybody has like a brick wall around their sort of boundaries in life right and the things you can and can't do and when depression settles in that brick wall comes right here it comes in so tight that I can't see around it I can't see over it and it's to the point where my husband would say, at four o'clock, what would you like for dinner? And I could not answer the question because I could not think that far ahead. I would be like, no, 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 I'm right here breathing. Like, because this is all I can do right now. And there were a whole lot of adjustments that had to happen all at once. And effectively, I became like, I was like living a parallel existence in the house because he's over here juggling kids and I'm over here breathing. And that's all I could do. So he became very good at that. And those practicalities, like, you know, for a lot of guys, that's very easy to do, like to get in that mode of like, what has to be done next? What has to be done next? And I would sort of be in charge of when I could, I was in charge of like the emotional stuff and he was in charge of the practicalities. And so, okay, I got better. And every time we went through things, like I knew he'd be okay before that. Cause when we'd been married about three years um, I had a miscarriage, at, uh, the second trimester miscarriage. So it was pretty traumatizing for everybody involved. And up until that point, I had, I mean, I was, I was in grad school, full, you know, I was in, getting my doctorate. I was very sort of independent. And my mindset was very much like, I, I, I'm choosing to be with you, but I don't need you. Like I couldn't need him because I was just... Everybody's doing their thing and we're making the household work. And when I had this miscarriage, it flattened me. 
because I thought it was fine. Like I was showing, I looked like everything seemed fine. And it wasn't until I went to an appointment and there were, you know, when the ultrasound tech gets quiet and leaves the room, you know, something bad's going down. And he stepped up then. And it wasn't just that he stepped up and did stuff because I waited a month before I ended up having a, a procedure to, to fix everything because I kept waiting for my body to process it naturally. And they finally were like, look, this is not going to happen and it's not going to be safe for you to do. And so for that month, I was in like this suspended animation of, you know, getting things done, but not getting anything done. And he went out one night <laughs> and this is in playoff season for baseball. And he went out and he got a bunch of chick flicks and ice cream and he was going to sit with me on the couch and watch. And that was, that was about by itself sweet. But then there's a movie called High Fidelity. Got John Cusack and who, who knows what else. He got it because it looked like a chick flick because it had John Cusack in it, you know? And there's a part of that movie that has to do with pregnancy loss. And he got so upset. He was so unhappy, like so angry with himself as though he should somehow have known. Yeah. That this, you know, in the days before IMDb, right, that he should somehow have known that this was going to happen. And I remember watching him and thinking, okay, we can do this. You know, because it was the first time that I had just collapsed on the couch and, and I didn't even ask him to take the movie off. I didn't even fully draw the connection. And, and he drew it before I did. And to realize, like, there's somebody else out there looking out for me. That was a big deal. Like, for I'm sort of fiercely independent in a lot of ways. And so... It was, it was a big deal for me to just let go and say, okay, somebody else is going to take care of me. So that means when 2010 hit, I, I wasn't as shocked. And we've been knocked down a couple of times since then. And he keeps, he just steps up. He just steps up. And that's a big deal. We've had times where you have that communication like at one point we had a friend who was leaving an abusive relationship and could not go to the women's shelter because of reasons. And she, she calling me in a panic. She was not thinking, you know, she's calling me going, how can I get a job? Right. And my husband couldn't even fully hear the conversation. He only hears my half. And we did the eye contact thing. And I was able to be like, you come here, you come here and stay with us. We have a spare room, you know, with that, so that kind of, that kind of moment or our fourth child, was born two years after I had the hysterectomy in 2010. She is our, and she is here. Sit with this one for a second. Her biological mother was our nanny from when I got sick. <laughs> yes. It let it sink in. Cause it's horrible. <laughs> it's horrible. She's an excellent nanny. She really was a terrible mother. And they, they kind of hit a rock bottom and moved in with us. And it was a case of, Again, that sort of wordless communication of, of course she can, of course she can. What, how, how do you say no? And it, within, they, the, they both were with us for four months when we learned that the biological mother had been engaging in sex work, had allowed, they had been living with a sex offender who trafficked in child pornography. Um, she had allowed ongoing physical abuse with the baby um all just i mean you you choose it this child has overcome it and and is thriving now and realizing that the facade i had been shown the sort of disney version of life was completely fake and he has stepped up she has formed a really special bond with him she never had a dad before and 
there are ways in which we have to watch her boundaries very closely because she doesn't understand boundaries well. And so it's up to him to demonstrate a very clear, like this is a healthy father-daughter relationship. And he does so. And, and so that has all been really special to watch. That's awesome. I, I, I love it. And, and I love this idea of, uh, of your husband and, and as dads, as, as men, as husbands, it's one of the things that we need to do is we need to step up. What are some steps or some practical things that men can do daily to step up as far as being a better husband and a better dad? Well, the, the same listening, you know, do you want me to listen or do things? But um, learn a couple of simple meals and even better teach the older kids how to cook a couple of simple meals and then step out and let them do it. You know, it's sort of the allowing kids, you always want to set the goal a little beyond what you think the kid can do. Um, so our, our the, okay, he's won one argument against me in 18 years. And that was right after our oldest was born. Now my three bio kids were all born a month early. And it turns out they were robust, healthy kids. They were all 10 pounds on their due dates. So early's good. <laughs> and um, so I did pregnancy really well. I felt great. I carry well. I'm tall. And so it was just this, this thing for me. And I was angry that she'd been born early. And I was a photographer. I was working as a photographer. And so I was taking like 400 pictures of her an hour, you know, just click, 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 click. And then, you know, this is back when you had to take the film over to the lab and get it processed. <laughs> and I'm looking through the pictures and I'm having that postpartum, the baby blues just, Whoa. and I'm like, I can see her change already. Like, I'm not ready for this. I'm not ready. I wasn't ready for the pregnancy to be done. I'm not ready for her to change yet. I can't cope with this. And he just looks at me and goes, well, but we didn't have her to have a baby. We had her to make a person. And I was like, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> But he, he was right. And having that mindset that, you know, kind of we had to have it adjusted at some point. And that was the thing is like, I wanted her in suspended animation for a second while I, while I took my breath and then I was ready to go. And he was like, it's not up to us. You know, she's got to develop at the rate she develops. And our job as parents is to make ourselves obsolete. So the very practical thing of it takes longer to teach a kid what to do. It's just quicker to just do it, right? But if you take that time and let the kid take part in chores from very early on, I think that's a huge practical, important thing. And then you do them alongside the kid maybe to show them the next step. But we have a rule in my house. You want to hear how mean I am? <laughs> I am like the meanest mother ever. I do our, tell. Rule, our rule is that you have to, at all ages, as soon as you're able to like walk, you have to do three chores every day to sleep inside. Then you have to do three more to get screen time. Hardcore. My <laughs> poor kids. So they are, I mean, I, on weekends, like I have my, my eight-year-old coming up and be like, mom, I need chores to do. And I'm like, sure you do. Yes, you do. <laughs> so that's something that my husband has had to learn, you know, because it's so much easier to be like, just get out of the way and let me do it. You know, but, but to let that be a thing, like he's become really good with, guiding them through and assigning them chores and that can be hard sometimes when you're just like let me just do it the right way 
but letting them do it piecemeal and then cleaning up after them. That's how you, that's how you help, you know, same with whatever I can do, he lets me do. And then he comes in and picks up the pieces after. And that's awesome. I love hearing your story and, and how you are together. You guys are developing. It sounds like great children. You guys are developing great adults. And I love that. It's something as, as men, we can learn a lot about. Uh, so as we start to finish up here, what are some of the best resources? You, you, you said you've gone through some, some different depressions and stuff like that. And, and uh, I have mentioned that you're, uh, you know, you're, you're currently disabled. What are some of the best ways that you have challenged yourself mentally and, and kept up with personal development? That way you could continue to get and, and be a better person. Um, I mean, I didn't for a long time. You know, I got sick in 2010. Then I had a different ailment in 2013 and then another in 2016, like every couple of years, I was being taken out with the knee again, and they were all with new, random, weird things. Like, I'm going to die by meteor strike. That's <laughs> very clear about that. Like, that is what is going to happen. And so, for a long time, I just functioned like barely, minimal functioning. I was like a ghost in the house. And in late 2017, I started looking around for for a project for something that I could feel more engaged in. And as the kids get older, it's like, like I can't do things for them. I am not a PTO mom. I don't, I don't connect with the other mommies on the playground or what I like. I don't know. Just, I, just no. Like all we have in common is that we gave birth in the same year. That's it. That's all we got. I, I, I we are not friends because of this. So I struggled with like, you know, and I sort of cast around like I miss working. I desperately miss working because it made me feel competent and smart. And I don't, as a parent, you never feel fully competent. You never feel fully smart. And if you do, you're missing something yep. because the kids are always throwing stuff at you. And so I ultimately, I early last, early 2018 is when I started a podcast. And it's me talking about the stuff that I was trained in, me talking about the stuff that I know and having my own it's not just a hobby, you know, my, my own thing, my own space. I've carved out space in our, in our basement and it's become my thing. And you know, this, just this year, I've had a couple of projects that have literally taken me away from the family for 48 hour stretches, you know? And, and I think it's been really, that's been amazing for me, for my own personal development to tap back in, to feel competent again, to realize people find me intriguing and want to talk to me to realize that I am not, that I'm worth taking pictures. Like I never took a selfie until I had a podcast because why bother? Like that was my feelings. Why bother? And to do it now to have people like, Oh, there you are. Like, I recognize you like, really? It's crazy. But it's this, this feeling of being more engaged with the world and having people recognize me. You know, it's not about, you know, the duck lips and the post selfie. It's about people recognize me and engage with me. Like that's been priceless. And it's been hard for my husband guaranteed that, you know, the days like today I had four interviews today and each one stretches a couple hours, you know, so I basically haven't made eye contact with anybody else in my house today. And that's been, you know, my husband just sort of like, okay, you do, you will figure it out. That's very special. That's very hard for him. And there are times where he's going to get lonely or he feels a little, I don't want to say jealous. It's not, 
it's not the right word, but let's go with jealous for this, this thing that is pulling me away from him and into the world. But on the flip side, he's able to step back and realize this makes her happy. She's good at it. And the more I feel okay about this thing that I'm doing that's important to me, the more I am good at engaging with the other, the rest of the house when I'm not chained to the desk in the basement, you know? So it's been, it's been a balancing, but it's been a good thing. And, and I think that brings up a great point for, for us men. A lot of times we are so busy, you know, working with the kids or, or doing the job and doing all these other different things. Our wives have goals and dreams and things that they want to accomplish each and every day. As men, as dads, as, as husbands, one of our responsibilities is to encourage our wives to go and, and to find their goals, to find their dreams, and to, to go and accomplish that. That's going to give them a deeper sense of purpose. And it's not about driving your wife away, but instead, I love what Kate just said about finding her, her, her hobby and her, her purpose in her podcast. But this makes that, that time with her husband that much more special. Mm-hmm. And I love that. So men, there's a uh, great challenge for us. Uh, Kate, tell us a little bit about uh, your business, your podcast, your website. How can people get in contact with you if uh, they would like a little bit more information? Sure. Uh, my podcast is called Ignorance Was Bliss. And it's everywhere, at, at, you know, Instagram and Facebook and all of the things at IWB Podcast. And on Podbean, IWBpodcast.podbean.com. That's where, the, where it's hosted. But if you find me on Facebook or, or Twitter, I'll be able to direct you on. I do think that a disclaimer needs to be placed that my show is not safe for work. We are, are we play, I, I assume that it's all grown-ups listening. And we play fast and loose with language. There's a lot of sex, violence, mental illness. Um, my last episode that I dropped a couple of days ago is four hours long about suicide. So <laughs> most, of my, most of my episodes are an hour or less. Like that's the goal. But this one just grew into this mammoth big thing. And so be prepared <laughs> that you're not, you need headphones in. And so definitely, if you'd like to learn a little bit more about what Kate is about and check out her podcast, again, not, not kid-friendly, not, not work-friendly. Uh, again, that podcast is called Ignorance is Bliss. Uh, so go and check out her stuff. Go check out her website. Kate, thank you so much for jumping on the Wrestling with Fatherhood podcast. Uh, I know you've given myself and our listeners a lot to think about, uh, especially from a perspective that we don't usually get. Uh, in life or on the show, a female pers- uh, perspective. So thank you. Thank you. The, awesome. Uh, if you'd like to learn a little bit more about what Wrestling with Fatherhood is all about, please check out our website at www.fatherhood.com. Again, that's www.fatherhood.com. Uh, also, check out a new Facebook group that, uh, that Ray Matz from Game Changing Dads and I have developed. Uh, this Facebook group is called Summit of Fatherhood. It's all about a group of guys coming together, doing life together, helping each other out, encouraging and motivating each other to become better spouses and to become better dads. Uh, thank you for listening. I hope you guys all have a great day.